Right, I'm here with Miss um, Sam Khan, consultant vascular surgeon, and uh, we're going to talk about um, aneurysms. Um, thanks for coming, Sam. Um, can you define an aneurysm for us? Okay, well, an aneurysm is um, an irreversible dilatation of a blood vessel. Um, in particular, to an infrarenal aortic aneurysm, um, an aneurysm would be defined as being a dilatation that is at least one and a half times the size of the normal blood vessel. Right, and a, a normal aorta is what, about two centimetres across? Well, approximately one and a half centimetres right. in diameter. Right, okay, okay. So anything above three to four centimetres? Yeah, anything yeah. above three centimetres would be yeah. defined as an aneurysm. And in fact, anything less than three centimetres, but above one and a half centimetres, would be described as an ectatic aorta or an ectatic blood vessel. Okay, so that's uh, so we know what we're talking about now. So, um, can you? There's, there's aneurysms in various parts of the body. You mentioned infrarenal aorta. Can you just tell us where common sites for aneurysms are? The most common uh, aneurysm is the infrarenal aortic aneurysm, um, uh, closely followed by popliteal artery aneurysms and, of course, common femoral artery aneurysms. Okay, and then more rarely things like thoracic uh, arch aneurysms, etc. Yes. Yeah, okay. Now, so ruptured aortic, aneur uh, aortic aneurysm is obviously the most uh, common and probably the most serious of these. How might aortic aneurysm present? They are usually incidental findings um, where a patient is being investigated for something else uh, and uh, happen to... Uh, have an aneurysm picked up on, for example, an ultrasound of the abdomen. Occasionally, the patient themselves will notice a pulsatile swelling in their abdomen. Uh, and, of course, listed in the textbooks is the classic story where a patient's lying in the garden in the sun, reading their book with their radio balanced on their tummy, and they notice that the radio is going up and down. Right. <laughs> um, very occasionally, a patient can present with chronic back pain, um, which makes it a symptomatic aneurysm, uh, which needs to be dealt with uh, sooner rather than later. Um, and, of course, then a patient can present with either a leak or a rupture. Yeah, OK. So um, let's say in the emergency setting they come in and they have abdominal pain going through to the back and they're hypotensive, and that's an aneurysm to probe and otherwise. Absolutely. Is that correct? Yeah. And then very occasionally the catch-out is um, groin pain akin to renal colic. Can you just tell us briefly about that? Um, I think a patient who presents with what appears to be renal colic, with uh, uh, left or right, so more commonly on the left actually, but uh, groin pain which is radiating from the back down to the groin and that patient is unwell and hypotensive, one must assume that they have a leaky aneurysm until it is proven that they don't. Yeah, and they're sort of um, 60 years old males onwards who do tend to get renal colic as well. Absolutely. OK, so someone comes in with a, a leaky or a ruptured aortic aneurysm. Uh, what would you do as the, uh, as the vascular surgeon? Um, the first line of treatment, if you're down in A&E and you receive this patient, is, of course, to uh, make sure that their uh, airway and their breathing are intact and then to tackle their circulation, put in a couple of big venflons, uh, make sure you have uh, fluid running. The important thing to remember when you start resuscitating these patients is not to give them too much fluid, because if you raise their blood pressure too much, of course that will uh, uh, either increase the rupture or, or speed up the process of mm -hmm. rupture. Um, uh, to give them oxygen, um, to take some blood from them uh, straight away and send it off to the lab and make sure that you have some blood cross-matched 
doing all of this whilst you're taking a history and paying close attention to their past history, to their cardiorespiratory fitness, um, to whether or not they live, live an independent life. Um, in, in fact, what you're trying to find out is whether or not they're fit enough to undergo mm. an emergency operation. Mm -hmm. um, and once you've established um, uh, how fit they are and uh, uh, you've made a clinical diagnosis, uh, then uh, the first thing to do is to get imaging of their abdomen. Mm -hmm. um, and you can do that by getting a fast scan in the A&E department uh, just to confirm your diagnosis. And yeah, that's just an ultrasound scan in A&E, isn't it? It is, yeah. uh, and it will tell you if there's fluid in the abdomen, if there's a large pulsatile uh, aorta. Yep. Um, but the key now to, uh, to imaging is to get a CT scan. The reason for that is it will tell you the anatomy, it will give you a definitive diagnosis, um, uh, the anatomy itself will tell you how you can repair this aneurysm. Yeah, and that's either with an open repair or an EVAR, which we'll talk about in a second. Exactly. Yeah. The only thing about CT scan, of course, it's important the patient's stable enough to go to CT as colloquially known as a donut of death sometimes, isn't it? Because unstable patients go to CT and, uh, and die whilst in the scanner, which is obviously something we should try and avoid. So um, you talked about repair. Tell us, so EVAR is the, what, what is EVAR? EVAR is endovascular aneurysm repair. It's essentially a keyhole operation where the aneurysm is repaired from the inside of the blood vessel uh, by gaining access through the common femoral arteries in the groin and inserting a stent uh, inside the actual aneurysm sac. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, that's using the emergency setting as well as the elective setting? Yes, it is. Yeah. What would stop you, because it sounds like a really good idea, what would stop you doing an EVAR? Um, an EVAR is, what you need to know in order to be able to carry out an EVAR is precise anatomy. Um, and so the factors that would stop you would be the length of the neck of the aneurysm, i.e. the distance between the renal arteries and the beginning of the aneurysm, yep. because you need at least one and a half centimetres to land your stent. Yep. Now, the other thing to look at is the angulation of the neck. It should be as straight as possible. Yeah, because so, it's more difficult to get the stent around the corner. Absolutely. Yeah. So more than 60 degrees angulation might make you think again. Uh, the neck should be um, not conical. In other words, it should be roughly the same diameter all the way down. Right. Um, and the other thing to, to look at is the tortuosity and the diameter of the iliac vessels, which should be at least 7 millimetres in diameter. And that's to get the bottom of the stent to stick it, in properly and well, have enough and runoff. Also, and also to be able to put the introducers in. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, okay. And then people that aren't suitable for aneurysm repair have an open aneurysm repair in the nutrition cell. The belly's opened, the sac's open, there's blood everywhere, and uh, you get control at the top and stitch in the graft as quickly as possible. That's right. Okay. What's the outcome of, of uh, emergency aneurysm repair? Emergency aneurysm repair is, has a very high mortality rate. Right. And uh, uh, it's sort of common, common to say that roughly half of the patients who rupture at home will make it to the A&E department. Mm -hmm. uh, roughly half of those will make it to theatre. Mm -hmm. And then on the table again, the mortality rate is about 50%. Right, okay. That's, uh, so it's not the best thing to have. No, it isn't. No. Okay. Um, and while we're talking about aortic aneurysms, just briefly, what size would you electively operate on aortic aneurysm? What size aneurysm? 
Well, there have been lots of studies about this, and the small aneurysm trials showed us that the best uh, size to start thinking about a repair is five and a half centimetres. And, and the reason for that is that if you repair an aneurysm under five and a half centimetres, then the risk, the mortality risk from your operation may well be more than the risk of rupture. Yeah, so the, so the, the risks outweigh the benefits are smaller than five and a half. And then, right. But also, if the ones are increasing rapidly in size or otherwise symptomatic, then that's an indication that's for it. That's correct, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's, that's uh, thanks for that. That's abdominal aortic aneurysms. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the next commonest uh, aneurysm, which is popliteal aneurysm, is that right? That's correct. Okay, yeah. so, and that's about 10%? association with aortic aneurysms? It is. It is about 10%. They, uh, again, can quite often be symptomatic. The danger with popliteal aneurysms is that they can thrombose and, mm -hmm. and cause an acutely ischemic limb. Or, because aneurysm sacs tend to be full of thrombus, they can embolise distally, um, and that can be, again, a very difficult problem to deal with. So if you um, examine... A patient with an abdominal aortic aneurysm, obviously you're going to examine their peripheral pulses as well. If you can easily feel a popliteal artery without too much effort, chances are it is aneurysmal and you must scan their popliteals. Yeah, particularly if you're a colorectal surgeon or a medical student. <laughs> That's right, okay. So um, so they can, they can thrombose or embolize and um, what, how would you treat a popliteal aneurysm? There are, two, again, two ways of treating them. You can treat them endovascularly, mm -hmm. which the, if you have a very nice and talented interventional radiologist, they will put a stent in it for you. Right. Um, and the stent will... As a covered stent that just basically goes down the middle of the aneurysm and takes blood from a normal bit above to a normal bit below. That's right, yeah. and excludes the aneurysm sac. Yeah. Um, the other way, of course, is by open surgery, and that's uh, simply by doing a fempot bypass. Um, and what you would do is to ligate the aneurysm itself yeah. at either end, um, and then to plumb a graft in above the aneurysm um, from the either the superficial femoral or the common femoral to the distal popliteal artery. Okay, well, um, I think that probably covers uh, popliteal aneurysms. Um, I suppose the other thing is um, this thing about aneurysms and definitions. What's a, we hear about true aneurysms and false aneurysms. What's, what's going on there? A true aneurysm, um, as we defined earlier, is an actual intraluminal dilatation of the blood vessel. In other words, um, it is a swelling that is uh, incorpor incorporated by the uh, lining of the vessel. Whereas a false aneurysm um, is usually a hematoma uh, or a swelling adjacent to the, to the blood vessel, uh, may well be caused by a perforation, uh, for instance, by an interventional radiologist, um, or, or needling of an artery, um, and what happens is that blood leaks out of the blood vessel uh, and is an encapsulated um, uh, little swelling or large swelling next to a blood vessel with blood flowing into it. Yeah, okay, so uh, after some interventional procedure, quite common, and the other common thing is a drug addict's been injecting into the groin yes. and they get an infected false aneurysm. So you see yeah. drug addicts with a with a, an abscess in the groin, don't incise and drain it because it may all be a false aneurysm. You need to duplex Absolutely. Doppler to, to don't bleed to death when you incise yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. What do you do about false aneurysms, briefly? False aneurysms, it really depends on um, what your scan tells you. Um, if the scan shows that there is a false aneurysm there with no connection to the blood vessel, 
you can leave it alone. If there is a little bit of blood flowing into it and the neck of the aneurysm or the perforation in the blood vessel is very small, um, i.e. one or two millimetres, then you can probably leave it alone and yeah. watch and wait. Um, however, if there's a large neck and the, the false aneurysm is getting bigger or it's a very, very large false aneurysm mm -hmm. that's symptomatic, then you need to get in there and repair it. And um, it sounds very straightforward, but it isn't. But all you need to do is to put a couple of stitches in the hole. Yeah, OK, thanks. And then um, just for completeness, um, aortic dissection or, or, or dissecting uh, vessels. Um, could you give us a little background to that and uh, how, how they might present? Well... Aortic dissection is the most uh, common, um, and uh, this uh, can happen in, in the abdominal aorta and, and also in the thoracic aorta. Um, it presents with severe uh, interscapular uh, back pain uh, and or abdominal pain, mm -hmm. um, and the patient will be very unwell. Um, it is really quite a classic symptom. They will be writhing with pain. Um, and they will be sweaty and cold and clammy, and they will say it's in, in between my shoulder blades. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you go hypotensive, and uh, there's, on the chest x-ray there's often a, a widened mediastinum. There can be a widened mediastinum. There can also be a difference in blood pressure between the two arms. Yeah. Um, there will be no other obvious cause of the pain, yeah. um, and the patient must be investigated urgently. Yeah. So um, into CT and absolutely. then cardiothoracic uh, treatment where appropriate. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, thanks very much for that, Sam. That's, uh, I think that's covered the basis. Thank you.